welcome to Father's Princess Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck, of course, here at the epicenter where it all began back in 1981, the mothership, as Father Spitzer would call it, where Mother Angelica started it. And, of course, your questions are very important to us on this program, so check us out by sending us emails at spitzersuniverse.ewtn.com. Check out all the Father Spitzer's websites, too numerous to mention. A couple are magiscenter.com, crediblecatholic.com, and personaluniverse.com. And be sure to check out our EWTN On Demand page, new and improved, and our YouTube channel, likewise improved, where you'll find Father Spitzer's Universe and a lot of our other great programs and shows available 24-7. You miss anything, you want to go back and kind of figure out what Father just said, that's a great way to do it. And of course, uh, signs of demonic possession from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in our daily lives is available through our EW10 religious catalog. That's our topic, of course. And another book, the book of the month for EW10 publishing, since it's February, is Spiritual Excellence, The Path to Happiness, Holiness, and Heaven by a very nice gentleman, a deacon, Richard Eason from New Orleans. Very, very user-friendly, very parish-friendly book. Speaking of friendly people, we turn once again to Father Spitzer, and we say hello and see how are you doing, Father? Doing great, doing great. How about yourself, Doug? Very, very good. So if you could uh, lead us off in a prayer, you that'd bet. be great, Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to participate in it. Send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen is right. So let's talk about a couple of uh, things going on in the world. One of the things recently that just took place uh, uh, was the Catholic Schools Week, which they have every year, mm -hmm. um, just within the last January uh, 30th through February 5th. So actually, technically, we're still in it. Let me ask you, in the world we live in today, why are mm -hmm. Catholic schools still important? You're, an, you're a Catholic educator. Right. Um, I think there's three principal reasons uh, that come to mind almost immediately. Uh, the first thing, of course, is that Catholic schools actually introduce uh, kids not only to catechesis but to spiritual life uh, on a, you know, a, a, an ongoing basis. So they're not just going to Sunday Mass, but they're also, uh, you know, have school Masses. They have other kinds of uh, participation in, in Catholic rituals, which I do think gives those kids a little bit more solid mm -hmm. um, foundation for their spiritual conversion, uh, which is essential. The, the second area I think that's important is Catholic schools do take up, or some of them anyway, uh, very seriously take up the whole area of faith faith and reason, because mm -hmm. after all, it is a Catholic school, faith and reason, you know, the, the, the idea of education, um, you know, trying to put together reasonable methodologies, etc. And the blending of the two is almost inevitable in a Catholic school. And so in that sense, mm -hmm. I also think there's a, a real purpose for Catholic education. 
Third, I, I, you know, you make some of your best friends uh, in high school especially, mm -hmm. but also to a certain extent in, in grade school. But that peerage, that those friends that really do have an impact on your life. And, and in high school, that's when you start having these serious discussions with people and your faith becomes embedded in your personal life, but also in the life of your peers, your friends. And I think that's a really important thing uh, as well. And if you have a school that attends to that peerage in a good way, and we have several of them here uh, in Orange County that really do take this very seriously. It stays with these kids for life. Now, if a school doesn't take that Catholic uh, ethos you know, seriously in the whole student life aspect of the campus, and, and it's just more, you know, you go to class and uh, you get your, the main benefits, you know, from class, well, that's going to be a weaker kind of Catholic education. But if you've got a school that really it tries to embed a Catholic ethos in the whole mm -hmm. atmosphere of the place, in the homeroom sessions, as well as the Catholic masses, as well as what's going on in various activities and prayers and sp mm -hmm. in sports, etc. It really makes a difference. It just really helps the kids to take hold and to build that into the, the friends that they have in their future life. So I think all of right. these uh, reasons are very good reasons. Let me ask you, you know, you know sometimes you, like you, you alluded to the idea that you'll run into a Catholic school, sometimes uh, financial reasons and things, uh, you know, there's an expansion mm -hmm. of who goes there, maybe there's a percentage that aren't Catholic, which can be good. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's good exposure, also exposure for those people to possibly become Catholic, mm -hmm. as many mm -hmm. uh, did over the years who attended Catholic mm -hmm. schools because of their experiences. But sometimes you find schools who will say, well, we can't be effectively too Catholic because we, you know, we have to respect these other people who are going to this school. What do you say to some, some situation I like that? I think that is a very foolish prioritization. Mm -hmm. I mean, if other people want to come to a Catholic school knowing that it's Catholic, then they're the ones that have to, in a sense, make accommodation right. for the ethos of the high school uh, the, or, the, or the grade school. Uh, you, the Catholic school can't be apologetic for being Catholic. The Catholic school has its ethos, has its mission, and, and that they, they, that's their job is to, to watch out over that mission and to deliver on what they say they're going to deliver to Catholic parents. Mm -hmm. So the priority has to be Catholic ethos first, then accommodation second, not accommodation first, and Catholic ethos second. And you know, I think reasonable people who are non-Catholics, who go to Catholic schools, they, they expect that a Catholic school will have a, an unapologetically Catholic ethos. So I mean, it's just like, uh, uh, you know, you're over-accommodating, and over-accommodation is a really poor prioritization because it gyps all the people who are going there precisely because the school advertises itself as Catholic. Right. Here's another story. It was one we, we talked about uh, mm -hmm. over the last couple of weeks uh, about the dangers of prenatal testing. Here was a, a, another article that came out actually uh -huh. written by Dr. Gr uh, Grazi Pozo Christi who actually does a show that airs on EW10 on the Catholic Association radio show she's on, oh, yeah. and she's a radiologist, and she wrote about this story. Mm -hmm. And I'm 
remember we talked about how so many of these mm -hmm. prenatal tests turned out to be wrong. And she goes on to say, mm -hmm. it's hard to experience with ultrasound screening, which she does, makes her especially sensitive to the Times' recent report on the gross inaccuracy of prenatal blood tests. These tests, yeah. unregulated by the FDA, I didn't even know that, performed yeah. upon a third of pregnant American women, wow, are marked as highly accurate and reliable, but turn out to be wrong more than 80% of the time. Remember, we were talking about that. Now, that the New mm -hmm. York Times put this article out. Yeah. And they interviewed several couples who got false positive results, indicating a high probability for devastating chromosomal abnormalities. And the results yeah. in fear, and many times these, as she says here, leads to people going to decide, well, I'm going to have an abortion, and finding out yeah. later that they aborted a perfectly healthy baby. And she goes on and recounts examples of parents who learned their baby was healthy only after uh, aborting him or her. And she goes mm -hmm. on to talk about... The other concern of this, which obviously we've talked about before too, is the means of screening for the presence of a disability or a characteristic like female sex or prenatal uh, issues lends one to the idea about the undesirable traits so that people who carry these traits can be eliminated. We know obviously with people mm -hmm. who are, are dealing with Down syndrome and of course what yeah. Ireland has I, not Ireland, but Iceland went through. Iceland, yeah. Right. Well, they, they it's crazy. We well, they eliminated them all by killing them all. And she goes on mm -hmm. to say, perhaps the discrimination faced by people who have disabilities before birth substantially contributes to the difficulties they later encounter. We can do a better job as a society by becoming more inclusive and accepting of those with disabilities and understanding that even from the very beginning, the person is so much more than the disability they happen to have. So I thought those were some good. Points. I agree with every single point she said. And the other thing I, I think at, at the end, what, what she was saying there about knowing the value of people with disabilities, I think people with disabilities humanize uh, the rest of us and, and in many cases kind of rescue us from our ego comparative battles, you know, where we're all out there trying to you know, up, you know, up, up, uh, uh, kind of undo the other person, or right. to, one up to be a little bit better than one up right. each right. other. You know, right. it's exactly. And all these things are are pretty much, uh, you know, subdued when somebody is around who obviously has some challenges, right. but that person um, is happy. That person doesn't mind it uh, when when other people you know help them and take care of them, etc. Of course, they want to have independence, but they also are very accepting and they're very giving uh, to people on an emotional level but uh, right now when you disvalue a person with a disability that means that pretty much we don't look too closely at personhood mm -hmm. we don't look too closely at love we don't look too closely at faith and transcendence we don't look uh, too closely at what I think you know a person, let's say, with a, 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 um, you know an intellectual uh, disability, mm -hmm. really brings to the table. They may not be the quickest mathematical uh, person. They may not have the quickest memory, but oftentimes they are the deepest people in the recognition of, of genuine empathy, in the recognition and practice of a genuine and authentic faith of being able to just bring into uh, you know the fore the love. Ability of the other person that they, you know, they're so happy to see you in in a way, and they just are so demonstrative mm -hmm. of their love, and all of these things that that they bring to the table. These are things we don't prize too much in our culture anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't want 
you know, lovability. We don't want demonstration of love. We don't want faith. We don't want authenticity of faith. We don't want authenticity of love. We don't actually want um, to, to relate to people on the level of real empathy. What we want are to have friends that will bring us high prestige so we can put it oftentimes on our Facebook or Instagram <laughs> account. And the point, of course, is it's just a misprioritization. And I think the disabled, they bring in so many of the quote-unquote human qualities back into the realm of our very narrow, uh, rational, objectified, thingified view of self. And so um, uh, God bless the, the disabled. I, I, they, they just make us more human and they make us respond in, in, in ways of empathy and compassion in exactly the ways that Jesus asked of us. Right, and they realize, uh, we realize how superficial most of the things that are promoted yeah. by especially the culture yeah. really are. Exactly. You know what I mean? and absolutely. Yeah. Childlike faith many times there as our Lord. Yeah, there about, we right? go. Right. That's right. Here's another story <laughs> I thought you might be interested in. The Bishop of Las Vegas responding to a pro-abortion column uh, written by a Catholic politician. It's always a Catholic politician, of course. And this is a yeah. CNA article, uh, which EW10, just to be honest, mm -hmm. owns, has asked all Catholic mm -hmm. politicians who do not agree with the church's teaching on abortion not to present themselves for Holy Communion. It's Bishop George Thomas wrote this back on January mm -hmm. 24th. Uh, he basically was responding to a, a Democratic representative, uh, a Susie Lee, uh, who wanted mm -hmm. uh, them to codify abortion in the laws in Nevada. And of course she has to start it off with, as a Catholic I have a deep understanding of the yeah. moral dilemma that the choice to uh, have an abortion presents. However, da da da, da I'll never work any harder than uh, anything than making sure that legal abortion is always legal and I'll never back mm -hmm. down. And so uh, Bishop Thomas described her deep understanding as highly flawed. Uh, which I thought was a great way of True explaining enough. it. True enough. And noted that she articulated a position that stands in stark contrast to the hallowed moral teachings of the Catholic Church, and um, which teaches that all persons without exception are unique, unrepeatable gifts from God, as we talked about in each of the yeah. other things. There are no second-class citizens. Why is it always with these kinds of people that they always have to kind of go along with the idea, well, as a Catholic, I realize... I mean, if this yeah. is their secular position on things, then leave it in the secular frame. I agree. I uh, totally agree. But, of course, uh, they're trying to uh, play up to their um, uh, peerage there. And, uh, and uh, the peers um, uh, that they're trying to play up to are very pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. And so their real they feel that their contribution is to be able uh, to undermine the Catholic Church in public to weaken, as it were, the church's uh, moral argument by their claiming, I deeply know, when she doesn't obviously deeply know, as Bishop uh, Thomas has already um, indicated, right. but I deeply know this as a Catholic, and I can reconcile this uh, as a Catholic. So basically, you sell your faith down the drain mm -hmm. to get political advantage. Kind of reminds you of that great Thomas More uh, line to um, Richard Rich Which, as right. he's coming down after giving his false testimony to the court about Moore and he says, oh, uh, uh, come here, Richard, is that a medal of office? Mm -hmm. And of course he looks at the uh, medal there and he goes, oh, Wales, 
But Richard, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world and lose his soul in the process? But for whales, Richard? Right. <laughs> but for pandering to your, right. your uh, uh, peerage, uh, uh, Miss Lee? And that's, uh, that's the, uh, the point in question. Going to sell your soul for that? Going to sell your faith down the drain? Going to sell your Catholicism down the drain for that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so clear that her interpretation's wrong, and it's so clear that she's levering her so-called membership in the Catholic Church against the very church she protests to belong to. You know, methinks the dumb doth protest too much. Right. And I would think uh, even from uh, our Lord's perspective, it would probably hold you even more accountable because you're, you're misleading the faithful at the same time when you're Absolutely. doing these kinds of things. That which, is uh, the problem. Right. The minute you say those words as a Catholic, you are now misleading the public, not right. only about uh, uh, your, your religion, you're misleading right. the, the, the public about God's will. Right. And it goes on to say that in a recent interview with the Las Vegas Sun, the bishop uh, said he absolutely believes that Biden should refrain, meaning President Biden should also refrain from receiving the sacrament, just to indicate that he's not promoting the idea that they be refused if they present themselves, but that they need to really think carefully in their conscience about presenting themselves to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about some of the letters we got recently and tying into, uh, sure. you know, coming out of uh, EW10, self-congratulatory, wonderful coverage of the March for Life and the West Coast Walk <laughs> for Life and One Life LA, thanks to uh, our great team in, in Washington, the news team and Matthew Bunsen and, uh, uh, of course, uh, our team up there and Peter Gagnon helps to coordinate all those kind of things and Enrique de Prado takes care of the Spanish side. Because, uh, yeah. uh, but here's a question. Dear Father Spitzer, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, do you think the population will grow to the levels we need to sustain the population? This is from Catherine. So an interesting question. Uh, not focused so much on what will happen when it goes to the states or what the laws are going to be or how it's going to affect the election. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. how does it affect the issue with population, which is also strange because we've been told for how many mm -hmm. dozens of years how the, you know, our problem is we have too many people. Now people are starting to realize we don't have enough people. Yeah, um, well, as I've pointed out in previous shows, we will hit the population implosion uh, point, uh, not just in the United States, but for every developed country throughout the world, we'll hit it at 2076. Mm -hmm. Now, but, you know, it will have leveled off before 2076, but 2076 is going to become the point at which population will go below needed replacement value to maintain economic, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, benefits within right. a, uh, the developed uh, country's cultures. So um, these benefits, once they uh, begin to plummet, and once you have that younger generation now taking on a greater and greater and greater load of uh, the uh, benefits that have to be bestowed on the um, uh, older generation, mm -hmm. uh, suddenly it's going to become very clear to them that once the government has to take 60, 70% of their income, uh, it's going to become clear to them 
people are not so bad after all mm -hmm. because the, you need people no matter how many increases you have in technology no matter how many increases you have in communications mm -hmm. and so forth you're still going to need people to run the economy and you can't have uh, the few trying to as it were maintain mm -hmm. this uh, enlarged economy of many many more elderly people and, and that disproportion this population implosion problem as I said Elon mm -hmm. Musk and others have been uh, really talking about actually almost yelling about right. uh, since uh, over the last four or five years so this is a, um, a problem we do need to consider but uh, just an answer to um, our listeners questions there are three elements that are involved I mean I think uh, you know um, you know, uh, um, uh, turning the, the you know the abort, uh, you know abortion decision back to the states will have a little effect. Yes, uh, certainly in the states that um, decide that they are not going to have abortions, you will increase the birth rate uh, a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think that the idea of the contraceptive mentality also at the same time has to be um, uh, more or less challenged. And what I mean by that is. People really do think that um, having more than two uh, children is somehow unethical. I mean, uh, you know, somehow that they're going to overpopulate the world or that their children are going to present a challenge uh, to other children uh, in, the, in the atmosphere, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the culture. It's totally uh, uh, incorrect. As I just said, mm -hmm. we're heading toward a population implosion. We're not in an explosive overpopulation situation at all. This has been you know, literally overturned by several key analyses, mm -hmm. one of which is in The Lancet, uh, which is Britain's number one medical journal. And um, if you look at uh, that issue, I think it was about four mm -hmm. years ago on population, uh, the, the overpopulation myth is, is completely uh, turned around, uh, turned on its head. Uh, by these good analytics. The problem then is how do we get back to people and say, okay, having children, number one, is not unethical. And if you liked your first kid and your second kid, yes, it did consume resources. Yes, there are uh, real trials that take place with kids. They get tired, they get sleepy. Mm -hmm. You have to attend to them and so forth and so on. But yet at the same time, I just think to myself, well, gee, what would have happened if, you know, so-and-so didn't have their third child or if so-and-so didn't have even their fourth child? And I look at that third and fourth child and I just look at them, how precious they are, how good mm -hmm. they are. When kids are just a figment of our imagination, we sometimes view them as problem instead of mystery mm -hmm. when they're not in front of us. But when we're holding those children in our arms, when we're seeing their creativity and their love, and we're seeing their transcendence and their self-transcendence and their prayer and so forth, and you see these wonderful, incredible, you know, eternal mysteries that are in front of you with all of their unique idiosyncrasies, their unique goodness and lovability, it's a whole different deal. So what I, I you know, I know it sounds almost backwards to say, before you make a decision about your third child, why don't you have the third child and see whether you don't want them after you've had them, uh, you know, or her. You know, in other words, the, the idea, you know, that you can make this decision in abstraction without having some sense 
of the beauty of that child. So I just uh, tell people, why don't you just do a substitution? Mm -hmm. Take your second child and just imagine for a second what it would be like not to have that child that right. you made the decision not to have that one, that particular one, etc. And then now consider whether you don't want that third child and so forth. Because I do think that we are going to have to, as a group, two children replace is not replacement value. Uh, you're you're going to have to, if you're going to defeat the population implosion, every family's going to have to have at least three children, basically, and, and uh, because we're making up for right. uh, parts of the population right. that have zero and intend to have zero from the very beginning. So when that happens, uh, we, you know, probably about 3.5 children right. is what, uh, well, you know, uh, couples who are open to kids you, will you, probably you have to You pointed out, I think, so. uh, exactly, you know, so it's clear that there's a, that there's not this population implode, in explosion that Paul Ehrlich yeah. and all of that, uh, human yeah, time yeah. bomb or whatever the name of that one was yeah, right, way right. back when because right, yeah, even here in yeah. china they're they're talking who, who for years didn't allow people to have more than one child etc and now realizes oh that didn't work so well Yeah, they're trying to bribe their people to have two right exactly yeah. but yeah. part of it dovetails into the whole as you alluded to and kind of extreme environmentalism where people mm -hmm. or children are almost viewed negatively as, like you said, consumers of resources. And so not only mm -hmm. do you have uh, families who get married, limiting it to one, maybe two children, you have people, even married couple, who decide not to have kids. And part of it's mm -hmm. this kind of like, well, I don't want to bring somebody into this world where it's so apocalyptic because the world is, is, is burning up mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two kinds of environmentalism. Uh, there's a kind that um, does include technology in its outlook on the world's future, and there's a kind um, that does not include technology in its outlook. And the kind that does not include technology is a myth. I mean, I keep telling people, tech, you know, why didn't the Malthusian crisis ever happen? You know, Malthus, right, Thomas Malthus, economist, uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago predicts, right, that, that the, the, sc the scarcity of resources are going to over, you know, population is going to overcome the scarcity of resources, and this is going to lead to strife and wars and disease because we'll never be able to supply everybody with all the resources that they need. And how, what was his famous calculation? Oh, the, the resources are only going to go up in an arithmetic way, but of course, the population is going to go up in a quasi-exponential way mm -hmm. and because of that the population will always you know be much much you know a, a, a higher outstripping the resources that are available now back in Thomas Malthus's day where technology was still at the big huge uh, machine cranking industrial revolution level maybe that made sense mm -hmm. but now today we could just see what technology has done to make more resources available. At the very point when now the population is at its highest rate in, in world history, we still have a per capita income worldwide that has increased fourfold in four decades. Mm -hmm. Now, come on, you can't tell me that we're, you know, we're, we're restricted. And then you say, well, well, it must lead to more environmental crises. Uh, there must be a food shortage. Yeah, but technology is already working 
not just working, but already um, doing almost miracles in food. And it's not just miracle strains of rice. It's not just new techniques of irrigation. It's not just the Israeli, you know, making the desert fertile. It's not just these, uh, uh, you know, older technologies. I mean, these hydroponic farming methods and, and all kinds of other ways of getting two times, three times the number of crops per year out of even land-based, um, you know, agrarian, agrarian methods. And then, you know, the, the bringing of new water resources uh, to the fore, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things. We haven't even begun to cultivate, uh, you know, what the ocean is capable of producing, et cetera. So we look at all these things, you know, okay, technology probably is the X factor that made Malthus dead wrong. He's always been dead wrong, yet he's been the person, by the way, he was an Anglican clergyman, so right. odd. Well, you know, he wasn't too big the, on uh, Irish Catholics either, as I remember. Yeah, well, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but, and he, you know, him, uh, and he, but he's, you know, that's, that's the Malthusian, you know, hammer has mm -hmm. been used to beat this thing into the ground, but it's a false environmentalism that does not say technology has a factor to play and why is that because technology can restore environment for example you know if we wanted to put you know if we get a cheaper source of of, of energy and we will fusion is going to be I think it's imminent myself mm -hmm. and, and if fusion is imminent you can imagine that the energy prices are going to go down by a factor maybe 10 times maybe 20 times mm -hmm. even more because of course it's so cheap to produce fusion power I mean the fuel is certainly cheap mm -hmm. you know take some hydrogen out of boron take some hydrogen out of water whatever you know hydrogen's out there the most abundant um, you know element in in, in the universe mm -hmm. okay now if that's what's making, you know, that's your fuel, essentially, and you can get the temperatures that are desired by an economic method, and that's coming. There's no question it's coming. We're developing, right, the, the, the plasma technologies. We're developing the kinds of shields and things that are necessary to make fusion go. Mm -hmm. If that actually happens and the energy price comes down, you could create a vortex tomorrow, literally. A big, huge machine that's out there spinning in the atmosphere, just sucking up all that carbon in the atmosphere, taking it and making it useful fuel, right, for, let's say, uh, 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 car engines, et cetera, et cetera, literally taking it right out of the atmosphere. Um, and, and, of course, all you need is cheap energy to, 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 to produce. The Germans, by the way, uh, discovered these uh, vortices a long time ago, you know, during the uh, Second World War. Uh, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's just been the, the, the economy of power that's needed uh, to use those vortices. But that's just one example. I mean, you can purify right. water now today in all kinds of ways. You don't have to use the highbrow technology, though that certainly can purify a lot of water really quickly, but you can also use intermediate technologies and very simple technologies. You know, I, 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 you, know you can right. put together like a, a clay we'll have pot to wait with straw. After the break to find out about these simple <laughs> technologies <laughs> for the simple people like myself watching the program much more ahead with Father Spitzer. Stay with us. And as always, we appreciate you staying with us here on Father Spitzer's Universe. And our topic is on Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, The Signs of Demonic Possession. But we're finishing off with your questions first. 
And just before we uh, move ahead, Father, you wanted to make a final mm -hmm. point about uh, kind yeah. of some of the misunderstanding as it relates to population and kind of an over overzealous environmentalism, I guess. Yeah, I would just say any environmental analysis that does not indicate, you know, in some fair way, the technologies that are being developed in order to not only deal with uh, obvious environmental problems, but also the technologies that can help alleviate shortages of resources and the technologies that can improve uh, communication among people, the, the technologies that can uh, obviously also improve uh, information uh, gathering and, and, and so forth. If we don't account for all of these technologies in those environmental scenarios, they're wrong. It's the old problem of there are far more errors of omission than commission. You have to have complete data. So you have to have environmental scenario plus a technology scenario and look at the balance. It's like the old cholesterol count, right? right. It used to be thought that the overall cholesterol count really mattered, but now it turns out you just want your good cholesterol to be <clears throat> the idea of good cholesterol wasn't even formally considered, <clears throat> but now you want People say the ratio that matters is your good cholesterol has to be higher than your bad cholesterol. <clears throat> so um, right. that's, you know, the HDL over And the then other. I used to think that <clears throat> eating something that was technically high in cholesterol meant that absolutely your cholesterol would go up. And it wasn't yeah. the same one-to-one -one relationship that they thought it was. Yeah, that's no, what I exactly. thought. Eggs was, were very bad for you. Now, then yeah. eggs are very good for you. So uh, Exactly. Misleading. Exactly. Errors of omission. Right. Well, it's always this idea that the science, as we've heard before, is settled. And if there's one thing in life we know, science, in many cases, is far from settled because it's constantly evolving because its understanding of things evolves, right? Yeah, that's right. And um, the idea of a settled science, I mean, sometimes you could say, oh, yes, uh, there are, are electrons. <clears throat> okay, that's settled science. But if you start making further and further statements about electrons, that may not be settled at all, uh, you know, other than the fact that there are these negatively charged uh, particles from a lepton family. Once you start getting to more specifics, yeah, science becomes less settled uh, with the uh, degree of specificity uh, of the statement being made. Right. Okay, very good. Another question uh, kind of dealing with the abortion topic. Dear Father Spitzer, kind of a tough story here. I had four abortions when I was young. I was never told that abortion was a sin or that it would endanger my soul. I felt bad at the time, but I felt I had no other choice because of my circumstances. I've since joined the Catholic Church and realized how bad abortion is. I have gone on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, that's a great idea, and received absolution for my sins. I pray for the end of abortion and contribute to pro-life charities. I still feel guilt for my abortions. I have a physical disability that limits me, but I think there is something more I can do. Do you think what I am doing is enough of a penance for my sin, or should I be doing something more? And this is from Anonymous. Well, Anonymous, I, you know, I, I probably wouldn't look at it in terms of doing penance for right. your sin, um, but I would instead look at it, is there something you want to do so that people in the future don't get um, fooled as you uh, were uh, fooled, don't get taken in by the propaganda 
of the pro-choice movement as you got maybe taken in by that, thinking that everything was okay. Uh, once you kind of find out, you know, that this really is a baby and this really was your baby, uh, of course, you know, guilt is almost inevitable and you did the right thing by going to Rachel's Vineyard Retreat. Mm -hmm. That was a very smart thing to do. But the one thought I, I have is if you can do some testimonials you know, so that other young ladies don't get taken in by the same propaganda. If you can, sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, you can do the testimonials at Catholic schools. Sometimes you can do testimonials at rallies. Whatever you might be able to do and just say, you know, this is wrong. You know, I got sucked in and here's how I was fooled. You can even record something a, like that uh, for YouTube and put it out on the web or something yep, like that. You, you could know? do something Absolutely. like that too. If you're that if you, restricted, Yeah, right. if you feel comfortable with it right, yeah right, I mean right. you don't want to compromise your family or do something right. but true I true. know a lot of people do give testimonials in it in and YouTube ones in there that's another good way of doing it and just say don't do this right. don't believe that propaganda you'll pay in the long run and of course your children have already paid right absolutely and and we know here at EW10 of course and I'm sure uh, you've experienced it too for your ministry is how important even those people who are at home who are just praying about these things oh and absolutely for, uh, the yeah. people who are suffering through these kinds of yeah. challenges how important they are yeah she mentioned that she was praying and I, I certainly didn't mean to say that, that 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 is very important in and of itself and is sufficient uh, in and of itself too so you don't have to right. do these other things but you know if you wanted to go the extra mile I would right. um, because it, it make a difference to some young ladies absolutely. who will just go wow I don't want that to be me absolutely here's another question uh, kind of an interesting one dear father Spitzer I recently read a news story about a man dying from heart disease who received a new heart from a genetically modified pig I think yep. this is a great news given the shortage of organs available for transplant. But is this something the church would deem ethical? This is Bella. Yes. Okay. Uh, no problem whatsoever. Uh, you can receive um, a heart from a genetically modif modified pig. And uh, right now, we, you know, the church has certainly approved the use of pig valves, you know, for your heart uh, already. And, um, and of course, uh, now we can get, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, greater and greater degrees of, uh, of technology. We can get... Um, uh, a larger part of the heart uh, tissue from pigs and um, uh, you know you'd have to genetically modify it as you put it uh, and um, but once that's done yes it's perfectly permissible uh, nothing wrong with it uh, at all very good here's another question before we get to the topic but it kind of dovetails into the topic it's dear father Spitzer why did it seem that demonic possession was more common in biblical times, Jesus cast out many devils and commissioned his apostles to do the same. I've watched your discussion of possession in the past few shows, and it seems that it's not as common today. Are there many people that need exorcism today that we don't hear about, or is it not as big a problem? Joanne. Well, Joanne, um, uh, possessed people were very public back in Jesus' day. And um, one of the, you know, sometimes they would be out in the in the boonies, right, where Jesus would meet the, you know, one of these poor possessed people on uh, on a hill, you know, near the the Gerasene territories, out by himself. Uh, whereas other times, though, they came right into town and they plunked themselves by the synagogue, a place that was holy, uh, in some sense, trying to 
um, you know, um, uh, you know, remedy uh, these terrible spirits that were um, that were plaguing them uh, by proximity to, to to a holy place. Mm -hmm. So it was much more public in Jesus's day than it is today. However, I must say that possessions, obsessions, oppressions are on the increase today. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are, uh, you know, concerted attempts being made in dioceses throughout the world uh, to train exorcists for those dioceses and to bring uh, those people into the exorcism ministry. Mm -hmm. um, you have to, of course, uh, you know, these exorcists should be uh, holy uh, in orientation. They definitely should, um, you know, I mean, obviously we're all vulnerable to attack and we've all sinned in our lives. And, you know, if you're doing an exorcism, you can be sure the devil will try to uh, attack the, the exorcist and uh, try and bring up his past sins and all kinds of right. other things uh, because uh, the devil will know. And um, just as the devil recognized Jesus right on the, his approach, you know, to in, for example, in the synagogue there in Capernaum. Mm -hmm. So the the main thing, though, uh, that that uh, is is important is yes, uh, possessions are on the rise mm -hmm. uh, today. Uh, it's of course much more hidden uh, than it was in previous times, uh, though not uh, entirely so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the uh, uh, it gets out there, and people do witness these things and. Um, and uh, also people do notice these things. Uh, and so, yes, uh, do you think uh, we are. Do you think mm -hmm. part of that is because people are dabbling with this, because people are kind of yes. have kind of walked away from kind of traditional Christianity, but yet they start looking for some other kind of spiritual or otherworldly outlet and open themselves to this? Yes and yes. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the first thing is there's an incredible uh, naivete with respect to the occult. Uh, it's just like abortion. There are a lot of practitioners out there who try and convince newbies, hey, you know, this isn't so bad. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, abortion's not so bad. Drugs aren't so bad. So you've got a lot of people out there proffering it and promoting it and teaching people how to use Ouija boards and so forth. And we just don't have enough education to say, uh, you know, educational procedures in place to tell young people, do not play Charlie Charlie. Mm -hmm. Do not play with a Ouija board. Don't do these things. You are inviting spirits into your life and heart you know not of. You don't know how wicked these uh, spirits are. You don't know how they can oppress and possess you. You don't know how they can completely disrupt your whole family life. You have no idea what you're doing. You think that Ouija board, uh, you know, is just a harmless Ouija board and isn't it fun to move the planchet around the board without touching it? You think that's just a fun little game, do you? You think you can get a little information that, that, that uh, uh, looks, uh, you know, like uh, you're uh, now in the know mm -hmm. from the Ouija board and you think you don't have to pay the price? You think that the devil is going to offer you anything free? <laughs> you know, when the devil comes, right, with all of his great images of, you know, uh, uh, sexuality 
personality, great images of power and destiny and envy. You think that he's giving you something for free? Never for free. The devil's interest rates are the highest, <laughs> doubling all the time. And so, you know, and he's a mafia boss. You know, he comes back at you and uh, you're not paying? I'll break your knees. And, and he will. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. And, and yet we don't say it, we don't breathe a word about it. It's just like the, the silence about what abortion does to women. I'm just begging people, just type into your Google, Priscilla Coleman, uh, post-abortion syndrome, mm -hmm. Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, Cambridge University keeps her, uh, um, her study there. This is uh, three quarters of a million women. Wow. Right? It's a huge comprehensive study. And it shows that, you know, 81% that 81% that, that of the time that young ladies who have an abortion have mental health uh, uh, difficulties and challenges that are just not present in those that do not have an abortion. They either bring their pregnancy to term or they never got pregnant in the first place. But the point is, is abortion is terrible for your mental health. It increases uh, uh, suicides uh, by a factor of three times, suicidal contemplation by a factor of, I'm, I'm, you know, of two times. I'm not uh, you know, absolutely, you know, getting the precise numbers down there, but just go, it, 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 it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So it's Priscilla Coleman, and it's just post-abortion syndrome, Cambridge University, just take a look at that, and you can look at that study. Now, is anybody presenting this? No. Mm -hmm. now, this is never said by the, the, you know, people in the schools that proffer abortion, right, that, that are, mm -hmm. you know, promoting it, right? So, so that's the first thing. The second thing, anything, now, in the schools, they do talk about drugs now. So they, they do have a lot of good anti-drug programs, and, and I think that's great, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. It should also be done for abortion, and in my opinion, it should absolutely be done now with respect to the occult. Because right. the occult is growing uh, continuously, and, and you don't want to just turn things over to the exorcist when you've gotten to the stage of oppression and possession. Right. You know, let's just have an ounce of pre prevention is worth a pound of cure. So let's just tell people ahead of time, you don't know what you're getting into here, but it's right. bad, it's dark, and it's not going to affect you positively. You may think so, you may think it's fun, you may think it's free, but it's not fun and it's not free. Well, that's kind of all of all of the temptations that come from the devil ultimately have that same yeah. result. Too. Absolutely, it's, absolutely. Uh, short term can be seem pretty good, but yeah. long term uh, yeah. it, it doesn't yeah. work out so well. So at the Saint yeah, Alexius right. Hospital in Saint Louis, April yeah. 9th, uh, Robbie yep. Mannheim and uh, the word ex mm -hmm. exit actually came out in his chest and then many mm -hmm. other places as well, and. I think we talked a little mm -hmm. bit about the the idea of, of trying to get him communion, spiritual communion, and how the Satan fought against it. Mm -hmm. But this is one thing I was wondering about. Um, during mm -hmm. the prayer for spiritual, Robbie leaped out of the bed, threw a bottle of holy water at the wall, but then I thought this was maybe more understandable, threw a plate of chipped beef and other objects to the Alexian brothers. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. if they're trying to get the guy to eat, why are they giving him chipped beef? <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Doug. <laughs> this, this I is a present question. A great <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to have a 
the old SOS name for that in, <laughs> right. in uh, ROTC. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, but uh, but anyway, the the long and the short of it is that uh, um, what happened to Robbie is you know as he's beginning to turn right. So he's mm -hmm. uh, remember you ha have to have the cooperation of the, of the person who is possessed. It's not just up to the exorcist. Exorcist can do uh, good up to a point, but then the person who's possessed does have to cooperate. Does have to come more deeply into the faith. Does, you know, confession and Holy Communion make all the difference in the world. And of course, the devil's going to try as best he can to push that back. The devil is always going to try to resist that. And so every time they got near the point of Holy Communion, every time they got to the point near uh, spiritual communion, every time, uh, you know, they got uh, Robbie right to the point of making that full profession of faith, you know, the eyes would roll back. He'd go back into his trance and the devil personality would come out again and all the swearing and all the horrible words and everything else and, and it would just start all over again but it's pure persistence those Jesuits who are performing the exorcism continue to persist continue to persist and finally uh, they broke through at one point Robbie you know got you know a a spiritual communion, then a little piece of communion, and then, of course, uh, finally, uh, right after that, mm -hmm. on I believe it was Easter Monday, uh, finally, uh, uh, you know, that's when Saint Michael appears and basically orders him out. Mm -hmm. um, and that little, uh, you know, I'm Saint Michael, you know, exit, exit, you know, you, you know, I command right. you to to leave now. Now, and that's when the devil actually did. Right. Let me uh, ask you a question, because because here Saint Michael yeah. shows up and, and he addresses him as Satan. So does that mean this is Satan, Satan, or as opposed to a, another demon? And if it's Satan, is that why it took Saint Michael to show up? Well, um, it's so you know difficult to interpret. I mean, the idea of you know Satan. Of course, he is the prince of demons, mm -hmm. and every demon is responsible uh, to him. He's the commander, and believe me, uh, he's a dominating commander. So he's got the, the full charge. Now, whether St. Michael is referring to maybe some uh, uh, high-ranking devil, and I certainly uh, uh, would suspect that you know whoever was possessing uh, Robbie uh, there was uh, obviously a great deal of influence there, mm -hmm. and seems to be a very, very um, high, you know, in the, in the hierarchy of these these uh, demonic spirits. He's mm -hmm. high up there. Possibly it was Satan, but by referring to Satan, you just mm -hmm. are referring to Satan's minions. Okay. So it could have been either, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so nobody really, uh, you know, has attempted to say whether it was okay. uh, Satan himself or whether it was just one of his as it were, high-ranking minions. Okay, as we move out of that into uh, section four here, what are the causes of possession and why does God allow? We've kind of talked about some of the causes. One of the points you make in this section is that the Christian church does not distinguish between white and black magic because consorting mm -hmm. with spirits and, and preternatural powers for persons of gaining knowledge or power that God does not give us or intend us is dangerous. Because you get that some kind of the, there's these white witches and you know, there's white magic and black magic. Yeah, well the white witches, they think they're um, invulnerable uh, to um, uh, satanic uh, or dark spirits and th mm -hmm. they are not uh, invulnerable to it at all. Even though they have the right intentions, the problem is they're trying to practice these magical arts 
without God, without following God's law, without following, um, you know, the, the, the law that's preordained from all time by the one who is our true creator. So if you're going to do this in separation or independently of God, of a God himself and of God's teaching, then you can, I don't care whether you call yourself white or black, you are making yourself vulnerable. And you say, well, uh, you know, I, I don't intend to consort with evil spirits. Yes, but you're trying to get special powers. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get those special, the special powers invested in yourself, independent of God and independent of his laws and independent of professing your loyalty to him. You're trying to be the nexus of the power. And even if you intend good by the power, you are opening yourself to demonic spirits in every imaginable way. Mm -hmm. And of course, don't think those demonic spirits will not string you along. They will absolutely string you along. They'll pull you, you know, as far, you know, of course, they'll keep hidden. They'll make you feel like you're doing everything just right. Your intentions are so good. But sometimes the road to hell is paved right. with good intentions, especially when you're trying to gain power, special power and knowledge that God did not give us in the natural uh, right. realm. And you're trying to get that special power and knowledge in the preternatural realm. Right. You're, you know, and, and you think that these magic spells and things, oh, I'm just using it for the good. Mm -hmm. But you're using spells and the end doesn't justify the means. This is the whole problem with white magic. It's basically the assumption that the end does. If I'm using it for good ends, mm -hmm. then the means of use, you know, using spells and magic independently of God and appealing to a spirit world that I have no idea is dark or white when I make the appeal to it, just because I have good intentions, I have a good end, doesn't mean that right. the means will not only undermine it, but uh, undermine the end, but undermine you. And so, you know, don't do the white well, magic these, thing. Is who are these non-demonic spirits they think they're talking to? Well, they think they're basically uh, oftentimes speaking to ghosts. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, and sometimes they think that there's also a spirit world, like an angelic world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which is... Uh, not evil, but I'll tell you one thing, the angelic world reports to God, right. uh, you know, the, the good angelic world. And so the idea of appealing to them without appealing to God, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think that works. So the idea of, you know, maybe uh, there are, of course, I do believe there are ghosts out there. Mm -hmm. I certainly do believe, too. Uh, though that those ghosts have very limited capacity mm -hmm. to give the kind of power and knowledge that people who are practicing magic are seeking. Right. So, I mean, they're obviously trying to go to a spirit world uh, that they think is neutral, right. but there is no neutral spirit world. There is really the good spirit and the bad spirit. Good right. spirits follow God and obey his command, and right. bad spirits do not. And so right. if you're trying to do something without God, uh, likelihood is uh, you're, you're probably appealing to some bad right. spirits well, who will string you along. Well, uh, what, if an angel of light comes to you uh, teaching a different gospel, yeah. you yep. have a problem.
Yeah, you got a problem. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <exactly. laughs> so with, with that said, we're going to have to wrap things up. So if you will give us uh, your blessing oh. on the way out the door, Father, that'd be great. Very, very good. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all consolation and love send his spirit down upon you to grant you great wisdom to recognize his spirit and to recognize those spirits that are contrary to his will, to recognize his will in the culture and recognize other wills that are contrary to his will so that you might give good advice, that you might give good direction to the people you influence, both in the political realm, the personal realm, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week and invite you all to check out our religious catalog where you can get some great books from Father Spitzer along with some wonderful programs on DVD, also on our on-demand channel next week. What are the causes of possession? Why does God allow? We just kind of started there, dipped our toe in, but join us next week. And EW10 bookmark this week, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic by Austin Ruse, very popular pro-lifer. Look for that and also the World Day of the Sick Healing Mass in honor of Our Lady of Lords from St. Simon and Jude Cathedral in Phoenix, Arizona. Bishop Thomas Olmsted is the celebrant, a great bishop, Saturday, February 5th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, of course, on EWTM where you can find all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. We shall see you next time when we once more re-enter Father Spitzer's universe. Be there.